0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Truth, justice, and the American way are our creed here, and that means we have absolutely nothing to do with the folks who make up the Biden White House and administration. We do watch them, though, and fairly carefully as discomforting as such an enterprise is, as they explain that two straight quarters of negative GDP doesn't a recession make in the Biden White House. Their economists don't even bother with PhDs in economics. They have law degrees. All the better to help them argue the innocence of this impaired president for the suffering of tens of millions of Americans, all as a result of his Marxist-dim economic policies, and the very real possibility that we will have two quarters and a row completed of contracted GDP at the end of this month. Of course, this is the same administration whose Department of Homeland Security secretary declares the border with Mexico is under control. Secretary Mayorkas repeats the declaration, even as millions of illegals and truckloads of deadly drugs, especially fentanyl, pour across the border unchecked. Mayorkas and President Biden lie with impunity, as does the entire administration. We Americans are bombarded with lies these days, nonstop. And not all of those lies necessarily originate in government. Ours or theirs. But lies abound in all kinds of national media. And publishing is rife with lies as well. And I want to credit Jack Wolfson of the National Review for catching the Merriam-Webster's online dictionary's capitulation to the trans agenda, Webster's adding a secondary definition to the word female, which defines female as, quote, having a gender identity that is the opposite of male, end quote. And so it goes in the increasingly ambiguous and often confusing politics of language, Marxist-dim style, and the culture war's rage. No better culture warrior than Steve Bannon, leading political podcaster, host of Steve Bannon's War Room, former aide to President Trump, his chief strategist, in fact, and now in a legal battle with a highly illegitimate January 6th committee and the politically corrupt Biden Department of Justice, which charged Bannon with two counts of contempt of Congress For refusing a subpoena, crushing Bannon's constitutional rights, denying him due process throughout, a D.C. federal court trial resulted in two guilty verdicts against him. Our guest today is distinguished civil rights attorney David Schoen, who represented President Trump in his second impeachment, and who represents Steve Bannon in his contempt of Congress case. David, welcome to The Great America Show, and thank you for being with us today To help us understand what the Marxist Dems leading the Democrat Party and the Deep State and the Justice Department are doing to Steve Bannon, and why every American should care passionately and deeply about what happens in this case. The only analog I can think of in American history that's reasonably close to the Bannon trial are the McCarthy hearings in the 1950s.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And first of all, thank you very much for having me. I've been a longtime fan of yours. Um, no, I think you're right. You know, it sounds overly dramatic, frankly, because that was such a checkered time in our history. But I don't think we've seen anything else like it since then. And and I do think there are some parallels to be drawn, as many scholars have drawn. But part of this, I think, results from the idea that right now with this administration, we have no checks and balances in place, frankly. It seems to be of all one mindset, policy-wise. Um, and uh, fundamental constitutional principles being thrown out the door, including, and for example, the Bannon case, the concept of separation of powers when privilege was invoked, but a number of things. And it's it's tragic to see, but uh, you know we have to survive it.
0: Yeah, indeed, uh, representing now uh, Steve Bannon, and previously you led the, uh, the the president's defense in the second impeachment. This is it seems one continuum from uh, at the at the latest August of twenty sixteen uh, to this very moment, and we know it'll go beyond obviously uh your thoughts about the the similarities to the impeachments of special counsel, three years of FBI investigation i I hear the president's credibility question, but he is the only one who emerged through that entire period with his credibility intact, uh, and so many others, whether they're in the Department of Justice, the FBI, or whether they're sitting on the impeachment uh, committee, uh, known liars, certified
1: liars, as a result of the actions they brought. Right. You know. Let me make one thing clear from the start, because people try to pigeonhole me or others. I represented the Democratic Party twice, including this year, I represented a socialist candidate for uh, president in 2020, challenging ballot access laws. I'm interested in the issues. I am interested in our constitution. That's what I've dedicated my career to. So this has nothing to do, in my view at least, from my perspective, my involvement with politics. Now, to answer your question, um, I think that, you know, it sounds funny, but a common thread with all of this takes me back to a comment that Jerry Nadler made several years ago during the Trump administration. And he said, We have to do these things because we can't trust the voters. That's about as sick a commentary on our democracy, especially from a sitting congressman as I can remember. We do trust our voters and we follow the voters' will. So, a parallel between the second impeachment, at least, and I believe the first impeachment, and what's going on now with this January 6th sham committee, in my view, illegitimate from its formation, um, on a very important subject, and that's cheating the American public. But anyway, a parallel is, Barring President Trump from running for office again and certainly from becoming president again is the number one agenda figure. They made no bones about it in the second impeachment. Remember, you know, he was out of office already, but they still insisted on the impeachment. And they had a theory for that impeachment that would have meant that any former president uh, from George Washington on could be impeached today. Once he's out of office, if they decided today that George Washington's policies were bad, literally in their brief. They could impeach him, so that's that's how far removed we've come from common sense and fundamental constitutional principles. And right now, as I say, we just don't have any checks and balances.
0: No checks and balances. Uh, we also have peculiar statements from the judge. Uh, and to remind everyone, uh, Steve Bannon didn't stand up and defend himself uh, in that quote-unquote trial, but he wasn't on trial before the committee. Uh, and their issues, the substance of what was uh, at work here on the part of this committee, never, ever entered the
1: the proceedings, did they? That's exactly right. Um, listen, the government overreached. They had overly aggressive uh, prosecutors who were sort of trying to compensate for their abilities, I think. And uh, they convinced the judge to go along with that sort of approach. It's, I'm surprised and disappointed. because This is a very good judge, very fair, good demeanor, and so on, very smart. Uh, fellow, but uh, he bought into a theory I think that was misguided. So one week before the trial started, July 11th, the trial started July 18th, the judge responded to the motions to dismiss in the case and barred every substantive defense that Mr. Bannon had. I took the position within our team then, I was hired to be lead counsel, I took the position within the team, Uh, first I said to the judge, judge by entering this order you will require me to provide ineffective assistance of counsel. Uh, failing the Sixth Amendment guarantee the defendant has. And therefore, within our team, I took the position that I would not be a party to that. I would not do the opening and closing. I would not examine witnesses. I would continue to raise the legal issues. And that's the role I played. Um, Co-counsel in the case, Evan Corcoran, uh, took a different position. He had a strategy that he had worked out and he agreed to go forward with the examinations. Um, So I, I credit him for making that decision. We each had to make our own decision. But Yes, the judge ruled in this case that the jury could not hear from Mr. Bannon. In fact, it was prohibited from considering Mr. Bannon's reasons for his response to the subpoena. And those reasons were, in a nutshell, he got his lawyer got the subpoena from the committee. Former President Trump invoked executive privilege. The lawyer told Mr. Bannon, executive privilege has been invoked. You may not comply with this subpoena. It's not your privilege to waive. Whether he construed it too broadly, whether he took the proper approach or not, the jury never got to consider that that's what Mr. Bannon had before him. And the lawyer wrote to the congressional committee saying Mr. Bannon wants to comply. What he would suggest is either work out the privilege issue with former President Trump, or let's go before a judge in a civil enforcement proceeding. That's what Congress does all the time because only the courts can be the neutral arbiter. In this case, and this is why another example I say of the over of the Justice Department. These prosecutors argued to the jury that Mr. Bannon defied Congress's order, doesn't matter that executive privilege was invoked. They said this is like telling the referee on a soccer field that he or she can't tell your son what to do. No, it's not. Constitutionally, Congress is not a referee. The president invokes executive privilege. Under the Constitution, it's presumptively valid. The separation of powers concept provides that Congress can't determine its validity or its breadth. The only branch that can is a court. So he said, let's go to court. If the court tells me to testify, I will testify. They chose to go criminal, meaning they would guarantee they wouldn't get his testimony because they never wanted it. But in any event, what's relevant, most relevant here, I think, is the judge barred the jury from hearing any of that, from hearing the advice of counsels, what he relied on, from hearing that he believed executive privilege barred him, and then let them decide. But remember, fundamentally, this is a statute that charges criminal willful conduct. The judge said that he was bound to uh, by a 1961 case that in the context of this statute alone says willful means did you get a subpoena and did you comply, period. Your reasons aren't relevant. That cannot comport with constitutional law and especially not the modern concept. And to give you an example, by the way, just how honest this judge was, he said about four or five times he, he was inclined to think we were right, that that's not what willfulness means here, that willfulness requires constitutionally some idea that the defendant is doing something wrong or committing a crime. Here's what the judge said on January 11th when he cut out the defenses. As I've stressed many times, I have serious reservations that the court of appeals interpretation of willfully is consistent with a modern understanding of the word. It's not consistent with modern case law surrounding the use of that term, let alone the traditional definition of the word. But as I've previously held and I reiterate again today, I am bound by Liccavoli and its holdings. That's why I say, not only we should 100 percent win this appeal, every American better hope we win this appeal, because if willfully means that an innocent person can be ensnared in criminal conduct, we're in a heck of a lot of trouble in this country. That's never been the way our American system of justice works.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And Judge Nichols, in this case, uh, being bound as he, as he expressed it, uh, I, I can't understand. Uh, is a layman of why he is bound with something that is on its face, illogical, uh, un-American, and and suddenly binding. Could you explain that for us?
1: Well, you know, he was generally a federal district court. The trial court level is bound by precedent by the Court of Appeals. However, as I pointed out, we've had 30 or more years of jurisprudence since that case, maybe 60. Uh, the case was 60 years old, uh, clearly affirming from the Supreme Court that the concept of willfully has progressed over time. So, you know, we've seen major precedents fall by the wayside in the past. This is one of them. And I said to the judge respectfully, number one, I don't think he's bound by this because this case involved executive privilege. That wasn't at all at issue in that Licavoli case from 1961. Number two, in Licavoli, despite its holding, they allowed the defendant to tell his whole story to the jury, to say that he had right, relied on advice of counsel. They didn't allow the jury to consider the advice of counsel, which was wrong, but at least they let him tell his story. Mr. Bannon wasn't ever permitted to tell the story of why he didn't comply. Um, so I said respectfully with, to the judge that I think he's mistaken that he's bound by this after all of the jurisprudence from the Supreme Court, including a case three months ago that def- interpreted the word knowingly, and and a case in 2019 said willfully even more than knowingly means that a defendant must know that his or her conduct was wrong, criminal, violated the law. And in this case, listen, we say, let the jury decide that let the jury decide if he did something unlawful, but at least they must hear from him why he thought it was lawful.
0: And with that due process was thrown out the, thrown out the window in that court proceeding. Uh, And Steve Bannon never had a chance. Uh, at preserving his rights, uh, advancing his argument, or prevailing against the prosecutors, it uh, this is is un-American. A process, uh, you know, I, I can't say that we've heard of. But it is among the worst cases of violating due process that I've heard of since January 6th, because we've got hundreds of people whose rights have yeah. been violated and who serve now as, as prisoners of war and uh, political prisoners,
1: Yeah. Let me tell you one of the ultimate ironies in this case, in my view, at least. We subpoenaed each of the January 6th committee members, along with Speaker Pelosi, Hoyer and uh, Clymer, and, and the House Counsel, uh, Mr. Letter, uh, for a number of reasons. There were reasons based on the composition of the committee, rules violations, and so on. This Mr. Letter contradicted himself. One point he said uh, to the FBI in making this case, there is no ranking minority member on this committee, which would be a rules violation. Later, he said in written papers, oh, Liz Cheney, of course, is the ranking minority member. Well, of course, she isn't. Uh, she's part of the same Trump-hating group. Ranking minority member is meant to be a buffer so that the, the committee doesn't overreach. And so we wanted to know about his contradiction, but we also wanted the committee members present at trial, and we subpoenaed them for trial, to answer questions like, why wouldn't you go with a civil enforcement proceeding? What made you go for Steve Bannon to the criminal route, which meant you guaranteed you wouldn't get his testimony? Why wouldn't you give him a week extension to study the issue when the Trump versus Thompson case came down, which involved executive privilege? When after the subpoena date passed, President Biden sent a letter saying, Bannon, we don't believe you have privilege. And Bannon asked for one week from that day to study the issue. They said no, because they had their televised contempt proceedings uh, scheduled already for the next day. So what happened? The committee members, to every single one of them, and the speaker and others, invoked their own privilege, the speech or debate clause. So consider the irony. Steve Bannon is prosecuted criminally because he honored— the former president's invocation of privilege believed in the Constitution as he understood it, and he's prosecuted criminally. It's not his privilege; he couldn't waive it. The committee members come forward, and they raise their own privilege as a bar to testifying. When each one of them could have waived it, could have come in voluntarily and explained to the American people why they did what they did to Steve Bannon, and each one of them refused. This is this
0: is sickening to watch, uh, and the and the McCarthy hearings in the 50s are definitively, to me at least, it, it turns out uh, at least they were fairer and that they had representation for those people testifying in those hearings. Uh, as awful as Joseph McCarthy was, he at least was called to to task uh, in those hearings uh, by the opposing counsel.
1: Right. That's, you know, that famous scene. In fact, I, I linked to a clip from that scene to make a point in the papers that I filed here, when finally one courageous lawyer stands up and says, I actually get emotional when I think about it, but he said, at long last, Senator, have you no dignity? Have you no sense of honor? He took him to task over it. We don't have that today. Um, And what we do have today, unfortunately, that makes these hearings even more effective for political partisans, I suppose, is modern editing. I mean, this committee brought in, literally, a television executive to produce these hearings, they edit them selectively, and they're presented as if they're presenting evidence without any testing of credibility and all of that. I say this is cheating the American public. If you believe that the events of January 6th were important, then let's have an honest broker present them and actually investigate them. Because consider this, Mr. Dobbs, you have as the chairman of this committee, Chairman Thompson, who just before he became chairman, sued President Trump over the events of January 6th saying that he, Chairman Thompson, was personally injured by President Trump. That might be the last member of Congress that should be chairing an investigative committee into those same events. You have Raskin and Schiff who've written books that they're hawking now about the events of January 6th and how President Trump is to blame. They have personal, reputational, maybe financial interests in ensuring that the committee's re, uh, conclusions are consistent with their books. All of what you say is true.
0: I. I... I do quibble about reputational, because neither man has a reputation for anything positive. Uh, it, it, they are notorious. Uh, they are, I, I think, absolute cowards and liars. Uh, and I, I, we have a public record of them both being such. I, I, so I, I just I cannot imagine the Department of Justice being a party to this proceeding. Yeah, I, I know that there are lots of ways to look at this, and there are different perspectives and different values, and at least in partisan politics, uh, with with which I'm, by the way, not unfamiliar. But I am saying to you, the Department of Justice to be a tool of these ignorant Marxist dims pursuing I, their agenda in
1: public and, and trashing a man's life and times. I think that, uh, from my perspective at least, Merrick Garland has turned out to be major disappointment. I have to say that um, I had a case, a client of mine's case in front of him. I thought I happened to have thought he was an excellent judge when he was a judge. I thought he was a fair minded judge, but I think he's really become now sucked into this and become a part of it. He issued a press release when Mr. Bannon was indicted, saying he wants the country to know that this case uh, reflects the fair and equal application of the law across the board. That's just not true. The Justice Department's had a policy of six decades of not using this criminal contempt statute when executive privilege has been invoked like this. It's just not true. It's not true.
0: Uh, and there's so much to question about Merrick Garland as, as Attorney General, his actions, his words, uh, his statements like that. Meanwhile, Steve Bannon. Uh, is under full, full attack by the Marxist Dems who are leading this administration, in my judgment, and the Democrat Party, along with the deep state. They are trying their very best to trash Bannon uh, because he is, uh, I guess as they see it, a, a bit of a, a an obstacle as they uh, try to simply disqualify donald trump from running
1: in 2024 yeah steve bannon is a powerful force in america with millions and millions of followers whether one likes his message doesn't like his message he is a force to be reckoned with and they know that and uh frankly whatever one thinks about anybody's political philosophy he is living what america stands for and that is voicing his views um, which, as I say, have tremendous following, tremendous appeal. He faces being labeled with these horrible names that should never be used with anyone. And he continues to stand up for principle. You know, he made a statement after the case. Uh, they tried to use this against him, that he stands with Trump and he stands with the Constitution. And he emphasized that he stands with both. But he really emphasized the Constitution. You know, As many people have said, Steve Bannon could have come in and just taken the fifth to the committee like many other people did. there been nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's a constitutional right, although I must say Chairman Thompson belittled that constitutional right and made a public statement that anyone who takes the fifth has something to hide. That's reprehensible and irresponsible for any public figure to take. But in any event, Steve Bannon committed that he would never do that. He wanted to testify. However, he also honored the uh, constitutional invocation of executive privilege. And until that was released on July 9th, when President Trump finally had enough of seeing what was going on. um then uh, he felt his hands were tied, as his lawyer had told him, and he could not comply.
0: And do you have an explanation? Have you reasoned this through why the Department of Justice would be allow itself to become just a tool of the
1: Marxist Dems? They're think, effectively enemies of the state. I think that in this case, um, a terrible partisan political uh, decision was made. I think there was a lot of Uh, pressure from Congress to prosecute Steve Bannon criminally. You'll remember that unprecedented President Biden came forward and said that he believes these people who so-called defy the subpoenas should be prosecuted. We don't allow President of the United States to weigh in on that and corrupt the system like that. So then the Justice Department immediately issued a statement, oh, you know, we're going to make an independent decision. They didn't make any independent decision in this case because they went against their own precedent. And Congress, again, was cynical in. Referring it for criminal prosecution, they had an easy out. Go to a judge, let a judge order him to testify, he would testify. So I think, again, as part of this complete lack of checks and balances now, I think it's the void in policy. Unfortunately, as I say, I represented the Democratic Party earlier this year. But there is a void of policy right now so that the January 6th committee has become a policy. Scare the people. Convince them that President Trump you know, was bad or was involved with the January 6th thing, and that's our policy. That will help us get votes. That's not the policy we're looking for, I think, in these very troubling times economically, politically, internationally, and so on. But it seems to be all they've got, and so they double down on it.
0: I, I just can't imagine what the rest of the world thinks of us right now. Uh, this January 6th committee, which is more akin to a Soviet-style uh, show uh, uh, trial, it is, it's is—it's something that you would expect to happen in a third-world country. We have an impaired president. Uh, we have a vice president who is the least knowledgeable vice president and seemingly inarticulate person I've ever seen in the vice presidency, and we've had some beauties over the course of my lifetime. We have two individuals that I can't imagine being uh, in any public role of uh, public service, and they're at the top of our government. Yeah. What is going on in this country where there are no standards? There is no expectation of excellence. There are these mad. Uh, Adventures like this January 6th committee to presidential impeachment, a special counsel built on an absolute fiction trying to overthrow the Trump presidency, having failed to overthrow
1: his candidacy. And you know what, Mr. Dobbs, I would bet that you regret having to say every word that you just said, because I know that you root for this country every day and for greatness in this country every day. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it, it really one could hang his head and just be depressed about all this. But I think, you know, by doing shows like you do and calling out uh, the conduct that we're seeing and calling for better, I think uh, I think that's the only course we can take here. It, sometimes it seems like beating your head against the wall because we see these confounding developments. We see corruption. We see roadblocks put up toward fair and honest uh, elections. and um, Everybody in this country must have an interest in election integrity. And again, I don't say this is a political uh, position. I was on the losing side of the um, of the Voting Rights Act case. You know, the Holder case, Shelby County, this is Holder case. I was on the losing side. I represented the Alabama voter, uh, taking the position that the Voting Rights Act should still apply. I'm in favor of election integrity. I represent minor parties trying to get on the ballot. I'm in favor of full ballot access and all of that. That's what makes this country great. But the problems you're talking about transcend politics. And they fortunately, because every American ought to be able to see that corruption is wrong, malfeasance is wrong, um, not putting people in office who are capable is wrong. We have to be able to raise this country to the greatness again uh, that it's designed to provide and that it certainly will accomplish again one day.
0: We have, uh, and I have to say, your words capture the the times perfectly, uh, and our, our, our extant reality. Uh, we the, the there was a time I thought that there were the Re- the Republican Party was the the party of business, the Democratic Party was the party of the working man and woman. Uh, all of it's on its head. The Republican Party now represents the working man and woman in this country because of of America first policy of Donald Trump. Uh, And the left, what do they represent? I cannot find anything positive that they represent. There is nothing that I can say about any one of the executive orders of this president, the, the policies he's pursuing that I say is in the interest of the nation, that is in the interest of the American people. We have a, a media that is a corporatist media that has simply lost its way. That's the kindest interpretation. And, and the worst interpretation is they're complicit. It's, it is a time for truth. And truth is
1: in the least supply. Well, you know, your comments about the media are, are just right on and depressing. And you certainly know that far better than I do. You've made a career of being a media success, um, but it's depressing because that's in these days that's the way uh, you know our voices get out. And if our voices are stifled because the media takes one position all of the time um, and they cover up other facts that are clearly demonstrable facts, it's it's very dangerous for our republic. But you know, I think in terms of policy, uh, certainly I have no better answers than anybody else. I I would express at least my surprise and dismay that when this administration came in, they seemed uh, like they felt obligated to pander to what I call the hate squad, other call, others just call the squad, and their philosophy, which is as un-American a philosophy as I have ever seen. It's completely just deconstructionist. And it's, it's, it's everything that this country stands for, in their view, it seems to me, is a failure. And they do it under the guise of, you know, uh, promoting what they think the country's values are. Absolutely not. Their position is antithetical to it. They, they call themselves progressives. They're regressives. They don't deserve a term progressive as if that had any, if that has any positive connotation. And it should. Um, it, it's it's horrible. We see anti-Semitism from that group. Uh, we see just base hatred of anything that doesn't agree with them. And if you criticize them, then you pose a tremendous threat. They scream bloody murder. It, it's a horrible situation. And I had thought that President Biden would be above all of that. But instead, he seems obligated to pander to it. I I want to
0: turn to where we go from here. Uh, You're an attorney. You represent the president of the United States. You represent uh, one of the most popular uh, media figures and Steve Bannon. You we have an American Bar Association. We have all sorts of legal associations. Why is there not one person among them? who says, let's let's walk over to the Capitol. Let's walk over to the White House and say, let's stop this now. Six years, almost six years of persecution of one man, Donald Trump. And the only people that have been revealed to be a dishonest uh, and un-American have been the Department of Justice, the FBI the Democratic Party, the Democratic uh, Central Committee, uh, the Hillary campaign committee. And we don't have any leaders stepping up to say, this is the moment and we are going to, not going to be defined uh, by the defilement of our, our great American society.
1: Yeah, I know you're 100% right. I would hope there are voices that say it. However, I think your point earlier is correct, right on. The media stifles it, and without the voice in the media, I'm afraid you know we don't all know about the good people uh, who are standing up. But yeah, at, at some point we have to just say at least the rule of law has to uh, has to apply. You know, my father was an FBI agent, so a lot of this is very depressing for me to see with the Justice Department and the FBI and all that. These are all groups that I grew up, you know, looking up to. The Attorney General of the United States. Um, this, this is, you know, I got into this uh, to work within the system. But uh, you're right, we all have an obligation to speak up. I'm sorry that uh, some Republican members of Congress, if it's a political, if it's political divide, let's just say responsible members of Congress, whichever party they're in, that they don't come forward more forcefully and say, stop, not in my name. This cannot go on in our Congress. That's the one area we have some sway over. Um, but, but I don't even hear that. We're just not hearing enough return to our values, um, neutral principles of law, and uh, standard of excellence, as you said earlier, all of those kinds of things. But remember, you know, many of the legal groups, unfortunately, um, have a particular perspective also. I've been very disappointed as, I've been a civil rights lawyer for 36 years, and not. To, uh, I, I would say to you that um, one of the things I'm most proud of is, I won years ago, the American Bar Association Award, having made more of a difference in public institutions, they said, and quoted some federal judges, that public institutions in the South than any lawyer of this era. I've worked as a public interest lawyer my entire career. I worked as a civil rights lawyer, criminal defense lawyer. When I took on the representation of President Trump, which was a far departure from anything I had done before, I was dropped from civil rights uh, listserv groups. They said they didn't feel safe if I were on the list anymore. I was uh, dropped from... I prepared to teach a course in civil rights at a leading law school, civil rights litigation, my field, they said, no, the students and faculty wouldn't feel comfortable anymore. I said, "You." this is a representation I took on for two weeks. I was honored the president of the United States would call me and ask me a solo practitioner in Montgomery, Alabama, to represent him. And when they had the team in South Carolina, it asked me to lead that team of fine lawyers who I didn't even know at the time. I was flattered by all of that. I wouldn't have considered saying no. I called up some of my old friends to say, what do you think? And they said, of course, you have to take that on. The President of the United States has asked you, and so on. What happened to the 36 years of civil rights experience? What happened to all of the difference that I purportedly made uh, for civil rights uh, parties in the past, for poor people, underrepresented people? All of that, and the public perception goes by the wayside because of the kinds of times, polarized times we're living in. The one, To me, one person who at least speaks the truth on this kind of stuff still Is Alan Dershowitz. And he says these people calling themselves liberals now are not liberals from his day. Liberalism back then meant open speech, open debate, not shutting down every opposing point of view like we see on the universities and all of that. And what's that gotten him? That's gotten him barred from all of his old friends, you know, and so on. I grew up believing in his principle, uh, the, the constitutional principle that we have an obligation to represent unpopular people, unpopular causes, but to stand up for our constitution and principles. And That's how I've tried to guide my career. It just doesn't seem to mean anything in the public perception now.
0: That value is fundamental to the American way. This is a battle. This is a war. And it is a war that was declared by the Marxist Dems. The left of this country means to destroy america and everything it stands for and uh david you're one of the the few people standing up for the principles of, of what this country does stand for and we thank you for doing so I, I i'd like to conclude with two thoughts one is uh how what is your next step
1: will you appeal straight away sure we have to wait until the sentencing um and following the sentencing, we will file a notice of appeal immediately and uh, take it from there, make the legal arguments that uh, we preserved in the district court. And
0: what will, in your judgment, the outcome be?
1: It has to be. I have to believe that it has to be that the conviction will be reversed um, and this willfulness standard will be set straight. Um, and what I say you know, all along is every American better hope we win because uh, everybody is at risk. If you can have in this country someone convicted of a crime without truly uh, acting willfully in the sense that it's always meant. And that means knowing you were doing something wrong or believing you were doing something wrong. We don't, as the Supreme Court has said, we can't have a statute that ensnares the innocent uh, simply by the terms of the, of the statute uh, into having committed, be considered to committed a crime by conduct they believe to be completely innocent.
0: David, thanks so much for being with us here today. We appreciate uh, all that you're doing. I look forward to uh, uh, other conversations along the way as as you prevail. Uh, And uh, we do thank you so much for your service to the nation. Thank you. David Schoen, God bless you. It is becoming increasingly clear, I believe, to most Americans that we are now a nation at war and the political parties are quite different. The Democrats are waging war, and the Republicans are pretending it isn't necessary. That's why they need Donald Trump to lead them. I just have to say this directly and straightforwardly. The January 6th committee is a travesty, and it's a blight on America and everything we stand for is a people. The FBI agents and the officials of the FBI and Justice Department You were once heroes to Americans of all ages. You are now nothing more than tools of the Marxist left, the Democrats who follow them, and the deep state of which you are part. David Schoen referred to the counsel representing the U.S. Army in the famous McCarthy hearings in 1954. The attorney representing the Army was Joseph Welch, responding to attacks by McCarthy that ultimately shut down the hearings for good. Welch's words today are powerfully appropriate and relevant to the Democrats and their travesty of justice, the January 6th committee. Joseph Welch said these words directly to Senator McCarthy. You have done enough. Have you no sense of dignity? Think about it, and let's ask ourselves why we have no one standing up as Joseph Welch and uttering those very words. Perhaps soon. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Our guest tomorrow is Congresswoman Myra Flores, who just flipped a deep blue district on the border of Texas and Mexico to bright red in a special election. Congresswoman Flores is with us here tomorrow to take up some of the biggest issues and threats facing our border states and, in truth, all of our states. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you.